Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Today we're going to explore through a very important topic. I think a, a fun one as well, I believe, I think, I hope. Um, and we are going to talk about sex. And, and as we are uh, diving into chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, I don't know, no warning for that, right? So um, I, I think it's really important because my, the point of my contention is what we believe about sex is essentially what we believe about God. And the, the reason I say that, I start out with that statement, is because the premise of the sermon is uh, this whole idea of living according to God's tenets and the parameters which God has uh, ordained and designed for the mankind, and the precepts which God had uh, kind of handed down to us, and, and we could call them by, you could call them laws or rules, but there are certain things that we as people of God have been mandated by God to adhere to. So if our understanding, if our reception of what God has designed for us is off, then our belief about the, the, the whole thing gets misaligned. So uh, it has to do with pursuing our fleshly desires versus what God has laid out for us. You know, we, uh, we in this church, we define sin as simply missing the mark. Uh, what God has ordained for us versus what uh, we as a man, out of selfishness of our hearts and the pursuit of our own desires, and we doing, uh, by doing that, when we miss, miss the intended mark and the course which God has for us, we define that as sin. And oftentimes as Christians, when we don't have a clear understanding of what God says about this area or the topic of sex, then it's very possible that we live our lives, not just our single lives, but even as married people, we can very well miss God's intent for how you and I have been called by God to live. So today, uh, hopefully we... uh, uh, we get a chance to explore on this topic quite extensively. So at the end of today, that we have a clear understanding of what God says and how I can better align my life, align, align my heart so that there is no sin found in every, any area of my life. Is that okay? Uh, I understand uh, this is a sensitive topic. This is a very powerful topic. It's so important that the enemy has succeeded enemy is kicking our butts in this regard. So it's very important that you and I take proactive measures that uh, we are constantly being purified and sanctified in this regard, that we live confidently um, uh, pursuing God and being continued to transform by grace and mercy of God. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to read the main text for us today, and hopefully we'll uh, get to unpack some of these uh, verses uh, throughout the sermon today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And this is a reading of God's Word. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. 
And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Do you not know what your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, The two shall become... One flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God. In your body. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, as we dive into the scriptures today, as we bring up this difficult topic, but an important one, God, I pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts, God. God, we desire transformation that can come only from you, Lord. God, we submit ourselves unto you, God. God, help us to uncover, help us to understand, God, what it is that. Uh, you want us to see God and in this area of sex, Lord. So God, I pray for your inspiration through this time that we have. Speak to us both individually and as corporately, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So often, uh, the Christian community doesn't really say much about sex, except don't. Uh, But fortunately... The scriptures, we're blessed that scriptures give us a plenty of perspective and it allows us to really gain broader understanding in this topic. You know, I can only share from my own perspective, from what I have learned during the course of my Christian life, what I have studied through the scriptures, what I have learned through different pastors and the teachings of uh, uh, how God's word is being uh, taught and, and, and preached. So a lot of this is my own discovery. A lot of this is my own interpretation. But I think together, as we're cautiously approaching this text, I think you and I will learn a lot about God's intent for us. So today's sermon title is Truth About Sex. Uh, big point number one that I want to make is sex is good. Say it with me, sex is good. Uh, let me make it a little awkward for you guys. Turn to your neighbor and tell them sex is good. Uh, if you're meeting each other for the first time, I apologize. Okay, we're, uh, but we're that kind of a church. We're an intimate church, okay? So we're going to get real, real fast. Um, sex is good. If you read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the creation account is there. Uh, it begins with how God creates the, the heavens and the earth. He, he forms the mountains. He, he, he allows the waters to come. And it says at the tail end of the creation account, it says, God created man, and God created man according to his image. And we see this beautiful creation of God uh, out of the love and the intimacy of the triune God that was being shared. Out of the love for himself, you know what? God created man. And upon the man being created, there's also a, a, a command that's given uh, shortly after the creation of man. If you read verse 28 of chapter 1, it says, Uh, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. And 
And this is an important command. This is the very first sentence that we hear of, that we know of, uh, between the communication of between God and man. Um, at least what's written in the Bible is the first words coming out of God and given to mankind. And this the first dialogue that we see is actually a command from God. This is what you ought to do. I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply, and I want you to fill the earth. God is not talking about, hey, create a bunch of things, uh, make a bunch of widgets. I want you to farm like crazy, let your crops multiply and fill the earth. What God is saying is, I want, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Guess what? I'm not a biologist or like an accredited scientist, but there's actually only one way for mankind to uh, uh, adhere to this command. There's only one way that we can reproduce, right? And the way we do it is by what? Sex. Good. We, we, I can see that we have mature people in here. Okay, hopefully you guys will get a little bit more courageous in saying that word and understanding it. And, and the, the way that God has designed for this to happen is through the venue of sex. It's a very fun way to do it, right? And it says, the man and his wife were both naked. If you read through chapter 2, both man and woman were naked. An important word here. And they had no shame. You guys know the place that, that Adam first resided in. His first residence was a city called Eden. Translated, pleasure, delight. So when God created Adam and Eve and said, you know what, now you guys are going to fill the earth. God, now, now you guys are going to adhere to this command that I'm giving to you. And the scriptures tell us that when man and woman first, first existed, they had no sense of shame. Meaning, nakedness was a symbol of intimacy with one another and intimacy with God as well. Not as a symbol of shame. Quite different than how we view nakedness today. Quite different than how we view sex today. I want you guys to understand and remember this very important fact that you and I, uh, humanity, were first sexual before we were or we became sinful. So it's very important for, under, for, for the, maybe perhaps the way you view sex is different than the way that God has designed sex to be. Understand, we were sexual before we were sinful. Meaning, our sexuality isn't a product of sin or some kind of a fallen nature, but our sexuality came into existence because what God has ordained for you and me and for humanity. So in that, we need to understand that sex is a good thing. Say with me, sex is good. Some of you guys are still not convinced. Hopefully we'll get there today. In the church, you know what, growing up, I've been Christian, I think professed Christian ever since I was 16 or 17. I had never heard that before in the church. I had never, no one has ever painted sex in the church to be something good. It's a taboo word. Uh, if you talk about it, if you like, you know, try to even bring it up to the attention, it's like, you're, you're scolded, you're ashamed, and you're some kind of a pervert. Like if you think about it, it's like, you know, you know pastors, like, don't even think about it, because that's sin. Being dirty. I'm like, so that's kind of the feeling that I had growing up, even in the church. We never heard that sex is actually good. And once you're married, and, 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 and we, some of us, not all of us, I think some of us, very few of us understand, well, sex is just for reproduction purposes. 
You know, they, they take this command to the extreme that sex isn't something that you enjoy at all. It's specifically for mating. It's specifically for filling the earth so we can multiply. So honey, let's get to work. And when our work is done, let's go back to our corners and that's it. So that's kind of some of the skewed views that we have of sex. But the Bible starts by talking about sex, not a no, but it begins with a resounding and affirming yes. Sex is good. God has designed male and female and commanded them to fill the earth and multiply. And we were naked and felt no shame. So it would be great, wouldn't it be, that you and I would return to such place. And if possible, uh, we, uh, we want our understanding of what God, what God says and God's intent and God's design of sex. And we would love to be in a place where we would be naked and also feel no shame. Big point number two is, second, sex is powerful. Say with me, sex is powerful. I can tell your neighbor, sex is powerful. Okay, God declares sex to be good, and to have these feelings is actually okay. And temptation and sin are necessarily the same thing. So sometimes when we think about sex, when we struggle, like we, we, we are so eager to push it out of our system, where we're so eager to just reject it and walk away from it. So being sexual isn't a bad thing at all. But the scriptures also say that sexual, sexuality is a very powerful thing. If you read through Genesis chapter 2 verses 2, 20 through 24, it says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one Flesh. Say with me, one flesh. And I'll explain to you why and how sex is powerful. Uh, when, when, when the Bible talks about between the husband and a wife, it talks about this incredible union of the two. It talks about how this, and uses the word called one, and the Hebrew word that is called ikad, and that describes uniquely the oneness and the unity of our God. So the same word, in the Hebrew word, when he's talking about the union and the oneness of husband and woman, or husband and wife, becomes one flesh. That same word is used in describing three different natures as somehow one God. That same word is used here. Oneness made up of several different parts, many yet somehow, and at the same time, one. Meaning there's incredible unity and the bond that is formed. And there's such a powerful bond. You can't really separate. You can't really say this is it and then now it's, it's, it's formed into one. It's bonded into one. You can't really separate. So what do we say at the marriage altar or the wedding altar when we say what, what, what God has put together no man shall separate. We talk about this holy union as something God ordained. Something so powerful that you cannot really separate. And if you are to try to separate that, you'll be, you be in a lot of pain. Because it's not designated for it to be separated. A few weeks ago, I was doing, my, I was doing some work. Okay, It's housework. I'm not a handyman. You guys know that. I'm not very helpful around the house. I'm, great, uh, I'm a great yelper. Uh, I love seeking out cheap 
very uh, competent handyman, so I, I'm good at that. But sometimes I will uh, uh, venture out to fix things on my own. In this case, my, the, the toilet lever was broken in my master bedroom uh, uh, bathroom. So I thought, I looked at it, you know what? And I opened it up, and I was like, I, it seemed to me that something was broken. So you know what? This is an easy fix. I was already excited at the thought that I'm going to fix this. I'm going to tell my wife, hey, honey, guess what? I fixed it. So I went out, uh, bought the part, and I knew that we had this glue. Uh, I, we haven't used crazy glue in a while. Do you guys know a glue called Gorilla Glue? Uh, I recommend that. I mean, it is. It, it, it will. It, anyways. So I used it. And it was an easy fix. I opened up the toilet. I, I put together the broken part. And, and later I realized that it wasn't broken. I messed up. Anyways, so it took about five minutes for um, fix that, to fix that. And then I realized, guess what? It, this always happens. My index finger and my thumb were glued together. So having, as a kid, you know, having some experience with crazy glue... And you know what? I've, I've, been this, I've done this before. So I, I got a uh, little, uh, what is it? Push pin. And then I tried to scratch off from the, step, from the top. And then, you know what? Nothing happened. To the point where I kept pulling, put, uh, trying to pull it apart. And I began, I began to see the skin lifting. And it began to turn red. I'm like, okay, I'm in trouble. So I went. I, I just I, I dipped uh, dip my hand in the, in the warm water. Nothing happened, so I went to the kitchen. I got a big old kitchen knife. I spent, I would spend the next 10 minutes spreading, trying to spread this apart and just carefully cutting it apart. I know. Was there a better way to do that? There is? Okay. Please let me know after. Anyway, my mistake was, I just didn't know how. And the more I tried to... And then by the time I was done, I, was, I successfully managed to separate my index finger and my thumb. By the time it was done, it exposed my entire thumb to be completely raw, red. I realized, man, this what Gorilla Glue is the truth. Gorilla Glue will bring two together. And when Gorilla was created, not Gorilla, when Gorilla Glue was created, it had the intent, so you know what? I'm going to put it together, and ain't nobody going to separate that. Right? I think God's intent for man and woman is such that you shall become one flesh. And the moment, the moment you try to separate, and why did, how did God allow man and woman to consummate, them, consummate their marriage? It's through the act of sex. And now what happens when you try to pull apart? You can't separate what God has joined together, what has become one as a result of that. And when you try to undo that, you can't undo that process unless tearing apart the skin and the raw flesh, exposing even greater pain that you did not know that existed there. So the idea that when you bond with something, you cannot separate without leaving something behind. Ladies, we have some, just a few, single ladies in this room. Let me tell you this, okay? Just in case you see men out there trying to trick you into, like, you know what? Hey, I love you. I like you. Hey, it's nothing but, a, you know, let's just, just, just carry a Gorilla Glue in your purse. Just as a safety measure. And introduce that man to Gorilla Glue. Say, so, you know what? Let me tell you something. This is what my pastor said. 
get his fingers, put them together. Because that's, that's what it is. So I think the picture that we get from the scripture uh, is that this isn't just a body issue. But you literally become bonded with one, other, one another. So when you have sex with people, with different people, guess what's happening? You bond together and you literally you rip away. By the time you rip away with one, you're like raw flesh still hanging around. And you go, you bond with another person, and you rip away. You repeat the process over and over and over again. So understand, sex is not just a physical issue. You know what your ninth grade health teacher lied to a bunch of us? When the health teacher said, it's just a body-body thing. It's just about techniques. It's about pleasure. Hey, just be protected. Here's a condom. So what they didn't teach you is that having sex is much more than just a bodily uh, 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 interchange. You guys ever heard the term um, soul tie? No, you guys have never heard that before? So I heard that term growing up. When you have sex with people and not, as not married people, what's happening is, even with married people, it's more than just a physical act. Literally, your hearts become intertwined. Literally, your souls are becoming what? Two flesh, two souls, two hearts becoming into one. That's what God says. Sex is powerful. I'm going to consummate. I'm going to make that mark that marriage is now one by the act of having sex. So sex is good. That's true. But remember that sex is very, very powerful. Are you guys with me so far? Okay, you guys are still getting used to the fact that I'm throwing this word a lot on the pulpit. All right? Now, lurking behind the New Testament teaching on sex is that the only thing strong enough to handle this powerful covenant between two people uh, this, this act of sex is a covenant that two people make before God. And then God allows only in the con- uh, God allows sex only in the context of marriage. Okay? For the reasons that I've just shared with you. But I know that many people, including Christians, do not like hearing that sex should be reserved for marriage only. We, it's because we minimize its powers. We minimize the ramifications that sex has on us. We resist the restrictive guidelines from God. Okay? And we fight to the very end, wanting to hear something that we want to hear, rather than receiving what God says about this. Okay? So, let's look into our um, a text today. 1 Corinthians six twelve. Verse 20, Paul is writing to a church, the Corinthian church, that's pretty sketchy. We've spent the last few weeks talking about just how corrupt they were, how immoral they were, how uh, rebellious they were, how careless they were about being the people of God. And they were struggling with all kinds of issues here. Church discipline, sexual immorality, doctrinal issues, and, and and, and now we're getting to the heart of one of these issues, which is sexual immorality. So verse 12, it says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for 
the body. Guess what? Paul is referring to the beliefs or the attitude that says sex is just a bodily function. And he gives an example of food, right? Because the people of Corinth were saying, food is just food. We just see that's what, that's what we do. And they were making the same point that sex is just a bodily function. I'm just doing what my body tells me to do. And then Paul is bringing these different points uh, and informing them, educating that it is so much more than just a bodily function. And I love what Eugene Peterson says in the message version. So I would love to share that with you guys here. You know the old saying, first you eat to live, and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since the master honors you with the body, honor him with your body. God honor the master's body by raising it from the grave. He will treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I love that. I sure hope not. And, and that's what uh, Eugene Peterson is saying. He's saying, I mean, it's pretty clear, right? We understand. He's saying, basically saying, it's not just a bodily function. He makes these three points. First, he says, your body is, Paul is making the point that your body is destined for eternal resurrection. Meaning the function and the value of your body has the potential to be carried on to life after. And it will have value onto eternity. Second point, he says, your body is a member of Christ himself. And he makes the point that now, you now being endorsed and being one with God, Christ is your now Savior. Guess what? You're now being united. You have been one ikhad. And you have now been made into one, united, bonded together with Jesus Christ. In that, he says, your body is not your own. No, I'm sorry, you don't get to do whatever that you want to please. Because now, Christ has been united with you. He says, understand that your bodies are now temples of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You're, I mean, there's a difference between renting and owning, right? You know, you know what I really struggle with sometimes? Like uh, hotels or Airbnb. I have to remind myself to get not to get too comfortable. Guess what, and guess what I do at home? Guess what kind of limitations I have at home, guys? Very little. But when I sleep at someone else's house, when I'm at a rental property, guess what? The whole set of different rules exist for me. So when we understand the body that we have here in the physical form is really not my own. It's the house. It's the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in me. If this is not my own, do I get to choose whatever I want to do with this thing? The answer is no. Sex is good, but it is powerful. And it's not just a body issue. Here's another important passage that I, th I think is worth looking into. Are you guys doing okay so far? So Romans chapter 1. And, and if you guys have the time, write notes and, and read these passages later because I, I, I hate it when we paraphrase it and we forget exactly what is said in these uh, passages. 
Uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing, and, and this is a beautiful uh, description and summary of the creation and the purpose of creation. And he's talking about, I think, this passage is a lot of times used when we discuss uh, sexual immorality, also in making a case of uh, arguments against uh, homosexuality. And this passage is frequently visited, so uh, make a note of that. Um, basically, the gist of that passage is this. Although they knew God, they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him. It's talking about people throughout history. It's talking about people, how man fell into depravity. It says, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So something happened, so they became kind of weird in their thinking and their hearts became dirty and black and darkened. And they exchanged the glory of God for man-made Images, uh-oh, we're talking about idolatry here. We're talking about exchange, funky exchanges going on. And it says, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. And God gave them over to shameful lusts. What's happening here? So, a lot of uh, nuances of man. God intended something and something happened to humanity and decided to do a bunch of things and that was not pleasing in the eyes of God. And God at some point, God let them be. You know how we talked about uh, in the beginning that we, we were said that what, what God's original intent for sex was, right? So if I were to summarize this passage in Romans chapter 1 verses 21 through 28, I think these four words summarize that passage very well. There was ingratitude. There was idolatry. There was immorality. And at the end, there was imprisonment. I say ingratitude because, and it begins with ingratitude. How did Adam and Eve fall into sin, guys? Do you guys remember that? And I'm not, I'm, you know what? I'm not that smart, but I'm smart enough to not to bring up whose fault was it today. At least not today. But what happened to Adam and Eve? You know how many rules Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden? How many guys know how many rules they had? Just one. They had one rule. You could do whatever you want. Go wherever you want to go. Eat whatever. Come on. God was the originator of ace. All you can eat, baby. Right? God says, take everything. Do whatever you want. Just don't do one thing. Guess what? Most of us, that should be enough, right? If all you have in your life is just one rule, man, I would love such life. God said, just do everything, do whatever you want. Just don't do this thing. Guess what? Adam and Eve have bought into the idea that whatever arrangements that God had made, they believed the lie of the serpent. And then when the serpent came and said, why should you settle for, why should you anything for anything less than everything? Why would God say, don't do this thing? Adam and Eve, come on, you know better. Who says you can't be like God? Who, who, who says that God is not holding out on you guys? And their hearts were filled with what? Ingratitude. All the things that they were okay up to that point, all of a sudden, not good enough. And I think ingratitude was the first domino that fell in this account of the fall that we know of. 
That's what happened. Second is idolatry. So when you focus on the no, when you focus on the one thing that God says that you shouldn't do, you begin to question the goodness of God in its entirety, which then leads to idolatry. You begin to think, if God is not good, if God doesn't know better, then who should know better? Who should decide for me what is best for me? Guess who that person is? It's clearly no longer God. Because you have discredited that God has given you everything that you would want or you would need. At that point, what happens is that you place yourself in the seat of judgment. You become the decider of what is good and what is bad. Guess what, friends? You don't need a physical image of an idol. You don't need to be bowing down to things for you to be an idol worshiper. Guess what? Once you place yourself in the position of what God should be doing in your life, guess what? That is idol worship. When you say, the moment you say, you know what? I know better. I don't need God. I will decide what is best for me. Guess what, friends? That's idolatry. Then, next is immorality. Immorality is simply, now you're acting out. You're whatever that you want. No longer, you're not guided. You're not being limited by any guidelines now, right? So all these parameters that God has set for us, meaningless because you have discredited God to be the person to decide such thing for me. Then immorality is simply, I'm going to do whatever I want. For, for when God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of this, then you will die. Guess what? Adam and Eve said, okay, I'll decide. I'll take my chances. I'll be responsible. God, you can just quiet down. Stop speaking so much, so loudly, so often in my life. I will now decide. And you begin the journey of immorality. Immorality is defined as sin. Sin is defined as what? Missing the mark. You allow your desires to take over. And you justify every behavior, every action that your flesh carries out. Some of you guys are thinking, why, why do we need to understand when we talk about sexual immorality? Because it's the same pattern that we see. Do we trust God when it says, sex is reserved only for marriage? Somehow, we have a problem with that. Like, well, before is okay as well. Well, I'm married, but you know what? My body is telling me, man, I need to go out and, and, and do more and get, get more. And we stop paying attention. We, we start devaluing the Word of God in our lives. And we dictate the parameters of how we ought to live. Even pornography. We say things like, you know what? I'm not, har- I'm not harming anybody. I'm not really physically with anybody. It's just my eyes. I'm not really with anybody. We begin to justify, right? Masturbation too. Oh, I'll, I'll stop once I get married. Oh, once I, once I have a wife, once I have a husband, all of that, I get, I get all the sex I want. But now I just need to get through. So says who? You have decided that for yourself. The last time I read the Bible, there are no distinctions. Watching, gratifying our own desires, setting our own parameters. And even, you know, my favorite thing is, my favorite rationalization is, you know, 
well, at least we're not having sex. Like, at least we're not having intercourse. And we rationalize it. Everything else is pretty much okay, right? Well, God didn't say it like this. Guess what? We have shifted our focus that should be on God. And we determine for ourselves what is good, what is right, what is not good, and what is not right. So do you see the pattern here? It starts by being ungrateful people. Instead of focusing on all the blessings I have, I focus on what I lack. Second, I start obsessing that direction. I know better and my desires are more powerful. And the minute that happens, I start acting according to those desires. Sometimes we say things like, hey, we're going to get married. Hey, so it's not going to hurt. I mean, you're going to be my wife. You're going to be my husband. What's so bad about it? We love each other, right? Or, hey, nobody's going to know. And I want you to see where that leads to. The last word is that we see imprisonment. Paul recites three times in the passage of Romans chapter 1. He says, God gave them over, meaning God let them be. You know God's response was? You know God's method of punishing the unruly, disobedient, immoral humanity? You know what his punishment was? He just let them be into their own ways. I understood that passage even as a non-Christian, even as an eight-year-old, eight-year-old kid. I used to get in a lot of trouble growing up, right? I was one of these kids, you know, left, sun up, come down, too late. Always getting scolded by mom, always getting in trouble, right? And my, at a certain point, my mom would be so angry with me, so frustrated with me, and she would say, oh, just do whatever. She's not, like... Her anger, she's not even angry, she's come. Okay, just do whatever you want. Go. Even as an eight-year-old kid, I knew that statement not to be the statement of freedom. She wasn't really saying, release. she wasn't releasing me. Now, I bless you. You know what she was saying? I'm so done with you, just go. Do, do whatever you want to do. Even as a little kid, I mean, I used to cry on my foot. I said, Mom, I would beg my mom, please don't let me do whatever I want to do. Please punish me. Please hit me like, like, I would like literally like go pick up a chair. I will go to the corner, put me in timeout. Because even as a little kid, the, the most severe punishment was that ultimate disconnect. The moment she says, you know what? Do whatever you want because I'm done with you. See, a lot of times, we don't understand. A lot of times we think our, the punishment of having sex outside marriage, we think, we think, we think like getting, uh, catching a sexual uh, STD is, is punishment, God's judgment. Or we think getting pregnant, or we think God's judging us now. You know what God's severe judgment is when He says, do whatever you want to do. It's in prison. It's at this point, you can't even stop. You can't even control what you're doing, what you're not doing. You're stuck in that. You don't like it, but you can't even stop it. You feel so empty, so you indulge it more and more. You indulge it more and more. But the more you do, the emptier you get. 
prison is when you think just one more time, then I'll never do it again. Only to find yourself caught in the same trap. I shared with you at the very beginning of the sermon that what you believe about God, your view of God, what you believe about sex is what you believe about God. And I pray that you and I would have a chance to understand that God really does have the best intention for us. That there's goodness in God's design of us. There's purpose behind what the precepts that God has laid out for us. Man or woman, young or old, single or married, our struggles over our sexual immorality, well, I could even say sexual purity, is more prevalent than we think or that we would like to admit. And I want to paint to you a picture of sex that is bigger than the way you act, what you do, and how you behave. And these are all tied to what you think of God. And today, as we wrap up this message, I want you to think with me. Are you with me on this descent? Where are you in, on, on this descent, perhaps if you are? Are you somewhere where in gratitude? Are you questioning like what, what, what God has given to you? Is it a place of idolatry? Have you decided to be the determinant, the judge of what is good or what is bad for you? Or immorality or imprisonment? You have to really, really ask yourself. And today, I don't just want to talk about what God says about sex. I don't want to just talk about the truth about sex. Uh, much more than that, I think I would love to have a chance to place all of us on a new journey today. Don't want to just present to you a godly view of sexuality, but also freedom. So what do we do? If for whatever reasons, um, you simply need to confess. Maybe you didn't have all this information up to today, until today. Maybe you were just really uninformed. Maybe you knew or you did not care enough. Maybe today, you are so beaten down, so broken... Maybe you're in a place of imprisonment where you want to stop doing the things that you're doing. You recognize that it is wrong. You recognize that it is ruining you. You recognize that it is ruining your marriage, destroying your body. But for whatever reasons, you don't have the power to change the course of your life. Today, God says, allow me to come and minister to you. Allow me to introduce you to a new plan that I have. For you. So today, first, confess. Say, I'm sorry. Whatever it is. Say sorry for the thoughts that you have, the impure thoughts that you have. Confess. Repent for the secret life that no one else knows about. Just because no one can see, it doesn't mean that God cannot see. So today, that's my encouragement to you guys.
Say, I'm sorry. Say, I'm sorry for my sins. And pray that now God help me to turn away from my sins and turn to you. Help me, Lord, as I place my trust in you. And I confide in the redeeming work of your son, your son, Jesus Christ. God, help me. And it's important for you and I to invite Christ in our battles, guys. And we're honestly, we're losing way too many battles. Church is being weakened. Our marriages, the power and the God has ordained for our homes is being weakened and being sapped out because we continue to be defeated in this regard. And I pray that you and I will stay committed to this journey, the journey of pursuing holiness in God. Guess what? Holiness matters. Every piece of scriptures that we have read in the past three weeks, that God has created our body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God, that Christ dwells in us, now that we're married, body, heart, and soul, spirit, married now to one. We're one entity as Christ is in us. Christ is with us. Man, I pray that you and I would long for that, that we would commit ourselves daily for sexual purity. That if we have any impure thoughts, even as married people, that we have, uh, uh, what is it, temptations and desires. Man, pray, God, shield me from these temptations. Find somebody. Go seek help. Seek out a brother, a sister. Say, you know what? Confess. Lord, please help me so I can stay pure. I can stay committed for the life that Christ wants me to live. Amen.